Hi, I'm Nikki Tapper, and this is Representation Matters, conversations around diversity in the workplace podcast series by The Equal Group. Bringing stories, insights and learnings around optimising equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Nick Ellins is the outgoing CEO of the Energy and Utility Skills Group based in Solihull, Birmingham, where he started back in October 2015. He is one of the industry's leaders working through the Energy and Utility Skills Partnership. He has over 30 years experience of working within utilities in a variety of management roles across commercial, operational, UK and European policy areas. I start off by asking him, who is Nick Ellens? Oh, who is Nick Ellens? That's a good question. Well, it's very, um, a very different person from my work life that's in my personal life. So my work life is a UK, well, before pandemics, UK traveling, constantly on the road, living out of a suitcase, business person um, that's done we can talk about the various different roles personally I'm exactly the opposite would rather stay in my own home uh, have a quiet life uh, enjoy the, my family friends uh, and very much stick to uh, you know stick to a, a family life I guess so um, so I'm, I'm in two parts one that's professional and one that's private um, but they seem to fall together in the middle somewhere that makes it all um, viable and work well I was going to say because if that's the case then um um, I'm pleased that I'm catching you when you are more homely or we've been <laughs> forced to be more homely in that sense. And I gather then it makes you feel much more relaxed and or you just enjoy home comfort. I think it's just it's just two different two different things. You know, when when you're doing your your job, you need to be able to do a series of things. You know, we're like chief executive, you've got internal duties and duties to your board and duties to your members and all these bits and pieces. Uh, and that's absolutely great. I enjoy that um, when I'm in that mode. But I think like a lot of people, when you do something that's uh, very high energy in the days, you also need to step back and get some balance. And so it's quite nice that when I do that, I've got I'm very blessed to be in a relatively quiet area here. Uh, my wife and I together just enjoy a quiet life, plenty of walks, plenty of nature, oh. doing the exact opposite to what I do all week, really. That's interesting. I'm, and I'm glad you brought in plenty of walks, plenty of nature, therefore enjoying the environment because your current mm. role, in a sense, has that as probably a lot of its remit now, looking at utilities. But before I, I come and ask you any more, really, about your current role and how you got into energy and utility, utilities in that sense, uh, tell us what Nick was like when he was a young man and where this love possibly going into the worlds of, of energy and utilities started. I did, uh, I did a number of roles, really, that were all, mostly, I would say, in some form rather commercially based. So internal sales, all sorts of work with lots and lots of people building relationships that ultimately had a commercial end to them, but were about building relationships with people. Um, and that went on until I got into a, uh, I got asked if I'd like to go out on the road as effectively a salesman. Which I which I did and found that actually there's um, there, there's kind of two ways of selling. You can you can sell to get what you want out of it, or you can sell to get what both people want out of it. And and the latter was my preference. So I ended up building very strong relationships with lots and lots of customers. And uh, to cut a very long story short, I did 17 years in a in a big Danish international company that allowed me to do every type of business I could possibly do within the field of water. And as part of doing that work in water, I got to work with a lot of the big water utility companies. 
and and ver found out very very quickly that whilst my image was all hard hats, high visibility vests, and quite a quite a sterile view back then of of what utilities were, my uh, my actual experience then found out these were the people who nurtured our rivers, who looked after our environment, who were the backbone of public health because we have 16 billion liters of tap water a day in the UK. Uh, one of the highest quality tap waters in the world. And the more I got into it, I started to get involved in things like hydration and sanitation and environmental protection. And it made a link that when I was at primary school, we were all asked to do a project and write to our local companies and ask them to send back information on their company so we could write up a project. And um, only one company responded, and it was a company called Anglian Water. And the entire education pack was all about the environment and what it was in the environmental cycle that made water so precious. So even though I can't actually say it was that moment at primary school that made me love the environment, later on, when I learned more about it, the two things came together. And I've just found it one way or the other. I haven't just totally worked in this area, but one way or the other, I just found it something that absolutely stimulates my reason to be when I'm going to work. It's very interesting to hear that. It's interesting how seeds get sown early on in our lives um, mm. and how they get watered as we do get older and, and grow. Um, it's fascinating. And it, it, what a, an amazing statistic. 16 billion litres per day. Litres yes. per day of water. Yeah. So every time we have a drought, we need it to rain 16 billion litres every day <laughs> just to keep pace. So you see how we get to run out of water fairly quick. And actually, again, I, I slightly digress, but it, it just brings into the fore of my thinking about those then those countries then that don't have water um, yes. and can't have access to the 16 billion and to just open that tap uh, and water that can easily be used and drank and so on they don't have access to is that something for you personally that has concerned you in terms of the work that you've done yes absolutely and there's a the, the water industry many many years ago and was so concerned about the fact that we had so much expertise and so much uh, or so much hype we back in the 80s when i'm talking now late 80s when they privatized the water industry it, things weren't as good as they are now by any way in terms of the quality of water and so on however compared to the people you were describing it was significant so they formed a charity that's now massive called water aid um and and you get statistics like you know giving money to water aid 15 pound buys a water supply for life so, so the more we got into that, I've worked very closely with the water aid charity and the water industries, done loads of stuff to send their engineers across, and they still do regularly, to send their engineers across all over the world to take our expertise and help others to get access. Because once you get the clean water, you can do sanitation. And sanitation these days is almost a bigger problem than the fresh water access. Yes. So you've got, you've got, once you're in the industry, you know, whether it be you know, gas, power, water, waste management, whatever it is, once you're in the UK's infrastructure sector, you've not only got the opportunity to do a lot for the UK, but you end up using your expertise all over the globe and making a lot of, uh, you know, make a lot of uh, people's lives better. Uh, and that leads then nicely into the subject we, we're going to be talking about really then today, because you're there saying we would like, or I'm, I'm pleased that I'm part of, of an industry, a sector that is concerned about others across the world. And therefore I, would love to feel as though I'm concerned about those right here in the sector that I work in. And so equality, diversity, inclusion has always been part of the headlines, but more so in the last few years, and then definitely in this very unique, very challenging 2020. 
in light of what we've heard in the news and the impact of racism and people who are from disadvantaged backgrounds not having the same opportunities as others. So your role as chief exec of the Energy and and Utility Skills Group, that came about, um, if I'm writing this, in around five years ago, something like that. That's exactly right. Tell me a little bit then about your understanding of equality, diversity, inclusion, especially from your from your work experience and the management roles that you've had, what does it mean when you hear those words to you? If I, if I look back over the companies I've worked in, and, and many of them have had an international flavour to them, the, the initial starting point for me as a person is, is diversity of people. So, so just pure diversity of thinking, diversity of race, diversity of nationality you know working with people all over the world is you you can have lots of preconceptions but generally speaking once you end up working in large groups of people from all over the world you generally find that every single person brings something you didn't have so if i carry that forward to this role when i when i come into the energy and utility sector in 2015 in this particular role around skills and people is that it's very clear from the statistics that we're very low um, on ethnicity, we're very low on disability, we're low on gender. And if you took things like uh, the Black Asian minority groups, we're, we're around 5% against the 15% national statistics. So I, I don't know of any people in the sector that would honestly signpost it as deliberate, but, but we are where we are. And so it leaves me with two conclusions. Is you, there's, there's a moral objection to not being um, diverse, which is, which is to say, well, it, it's just not right, because if you're in a community you should be employing from the community. And as long as people have the skills and competencies you need, that should be the only barriers. Nothing else should matter. So there's the moral point. Um, and then you, you can come down to a slightly harder nose point, which is diversity or being inclusive to bring diversity is just good business. And there's so many studies now that say that if you bring diversity of thinking, people coming at it from different areas, multi-faith, multilingual, the only thing that comes out the other end is a higher performing business. So if you, if you put the two together and you say, well, it's fundamentally morally the right thing to do to, how, to, to operate that way, and then look at it and say, well, on top of that, it's equally how you make a high performing business. It, it sets out for me, what do I want to do next? Well, you want to bring an inclusive culture. So you create diversity. And I'm blessed that I've got in our inclusion commitment that we run for the utility sector. We've already had now 45 organizations all sign up to changing culture to create inclusion to make sure they get diversity and they're very very serious about doing so in that sense and it's 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 great to hear that as you said that you personally can understand it and you then that you're very much a person that's about diversity would you say though that the group and others in the sector are committed to looking at this more seriously are they are the actions that they want to take um, to you sometimes just seem to be piecemeal just word of mouth let's just do this to keep people quiet or are, are you hearing and seeing actions that will actually make a significant change every single day I see the sector the companies within the sector the employers within the sector trying to make this happen so, so tangible things. I mean, companies that have completely changed their entire branding, 
strap lines, everything they do about recruitment because they've started to work out that the way they even show their logo attracts more men than it attracts women. Um, suggests that you need to be experienced when in fact we need we need societal skills rather than somebody's purely technical we need technical but that's a given we actually need people who can interact and persuade and work in teams and so as I say multi-faith multilingual so they can work in communities so so I see it tangibly every single day does that mean everybody's doing it no it doesn't and I think uh, certainly in the utility sector we're quite used to seeing um, almost like a like a, a sort of a, a hump-shaped curve where you get people on the left-hand side of the curve down low who are trying to break new ground and want to be the first to do everything a lot of people then try and uh, make those changes and do what they can but invariably on the right hand side of that hump you've got some people who are the last to go now it doesn't always mean they don't want to do it it sometimes means they've got other critical priorities or they don't know how to do it so so our, our job really is to make sure that where we see best practice and where we see it working then we make that change. But the one thing, the one thing we won't have, and just my, my organization just won't have it, and I, I have a chief execs council of 30 chief execs working together. The one thing they won't do is rhetoric. The people who just want to win the award or want to say they're doing it, and two months later move on to something else. So we've limited everything we do in our main partnership, of which inclusion is one, um, in inclusive apprenticeships and inclusive recruitment. Um, and we monitor that and we stick with that project until the end and we won't open up to new projects until we've actually done this properly. So I feel quite comfortable that I don't, I'm not representing rhetoric. Mm. And it sounds as though, thankfully, yes, that's, that's the case. Um, the, the fact that you're saying that you want to, or you're calling your other 30 colleagues um, into question about that gives, I suppose, those listening great hope because utilities or that sector does seem to be bereft of the genuine understanding of the word diversity um, and inclusion. And in these next coming months, when we are already now being challenged because of what COVID-19 has done to the economy, to what the, our society, to how we all see and feel about things, whatever this new normal is going to look like, would you say this is still opportune time for many to still say, look, let's really make sure we don't run away with the, the hype of what the media is throwing at us, but we are choosing to ensure, as you've already said, really, I suppose, let's make sure we're keeping this at the agenda, at the forefront of our agenda, because we need this diversity. We need to ensure that somehow our workforces, our employees, are having their voices heard and we're putting in place strategies to support that. I think the, the, if I'd start from the point of view with this, of, of looking at the fact that we've set ourselves on a course uh, to, to achieve a representative communities um, in the companies we're working in. And I think it's important to bear in mind as well that when we talk about that, we've got to challenge ourselves because in some communities, if you go out to represent your community, some communities are primarily white and primarily male-based anyway. So you can end up mm. doing exactly the opposite to your company's principles. So you've got to test it and think, did we actually want representative or did we want diversity? And it's a mixture of both. So we've got to do the things we've said we're going to do. And we've got to look the community 
and, and shareholders and boards and everyone in the eye and actually show we're making a difference. So, so I think that has to run. In terms of the media point, it's gone, the whole, the whole media debate has gone at every angle. And of course, social media means that everybody's got an angle on the angle. But what it's done is to bring some very difficult discussions out into the open that have been desperately needed. Uh, and we've been doing a series of webinars recently. And I, I'm absolutely delighted to say that the most attended webinar was around the Black Lives Matter campaign. Now, some of the people on that call were really struggling with what that means. Mm. Does it mean Black Lives Matter above all other lives? Well, I've never seen that campaign suggest that. But that's where some of the angles are coming from. Does it mean other lives don't matter? Well, nobody seemed to be saying that either. But what it did mean was there was a fundamental question whether, whether people in the black Asian minority communities are actually getting the same opportunities as everybody else. And if anything, Nikki has made people uncomfortable is that because of such fast moving social media and media, one year we'll be talking about everyone wanting a safe planet to change carbon to get plastics out the ocean and it's absolutely everything and then the next campaign will come through and it's not no one objects to the campaigns coming through it's just one tends to get forgotten as the next one comes through and that's why i come back to my first point you've yeah. got to do what you've said you're going to do otherwise you're having a media debate but the media have done an incredible job in forcing everybody to stop and talk about it and i think that's that's certainly what we found high value it doesn't as i said earlier it doesn't mean we're getting it right um, but it does mean the commitment's there to get it right. Uh, how have you found that for you, hearing possibly some of your colleagues, people who you've probably known for years, have particular views that you'd say, oh, it's a little bit worrying for me, knowing that that's happening, or that person or you know, those persons have that thinking at this time. I mean, does, is that something you've had to fight with yourself, juggle with in your thinking about what do I really understand when it comes to conscious bias, racist? Am I genuinely diverse in my thinking or my approach? Uh, this has tested me a lot as a, as a leader of a business because bias is in the eye of the beholder. So, so I, I, I set out every morning to be the fairest possible leader I can be. And I guess the test of that is the people in my company. But in terms, in terms of our business, we have a hugely diverse business in Solihull because Solihull is hugely diverse. So if we're a fair employer, we should naturally be diverse. But, but there's been a number of occasions where people have expressed their view on feeling excluded by, by race, by educational ability, by disability. And, and I've struggled to comprehend their perspective initially because it's unconscious bias on my part so it's not intended but it, but my upbringing my experiences my work life my financial situation you name it gives me an outlook as it does with all of us and when you hear somebody talk from the heart about their experience you can realize you've just seen it from their perspective and you've got to so yes it's been a constant challenge um I've, I've not yet found something that's made me feel so uncomfortable I couldn't go with it um, because people have made such compelling cases. But I, I guess that'll happen at some point. But certainly for now, the whole, the whole every time we have one of these debates, and I, I did one, I was talking to some people recently on disability, and I think at the moment disability has been so excluded. Yeah. from the debate because of everything that's been going on uh, and there's people there who are really who have so much to offer but really struggling to be heard as just a standard employee so we're not allowed to declare race 
on a um, uh, on a on a when you're applying for a company, but most times we have to declare disability because you may need to cater for them. So it's a protected characteristic, but it's not it's not giving people the same crack of the whip. So things there we've got to look at. So so we do we do lots of stuff at the moment to try and just get the dialogue going. And yes, it pushes me every day of the week, and I, and I enjoy that push because that's what broadens your perspective. Yeah, um, yes, very true. And although many would say no, it's tiring. It's exhausting, but yeah. <laughs> I don't fancy being pushed anymore. But I, I'm glad that, as you said, this is a conversation that needs to be had, but across the board, because we are concerned that people who do have disabilities will be left outside. We've also got to think about people's mental and emotional Indeed. well-being, because if you're supposedly, you know, in, would you say the norm, that now, of course, has been challenged. You know, we've had lockdown that has caused possibly many families to really look at themselves differently because they didn't expect to be with each other 24 hours of the day. And therefore, that impact on how somebody comes into the workplace is going to be seen. So, Nick, you were saying with all these, the roles that you've had over the years and the fact that you're very pivotal and quite passionate about seeing equality, diversity and inclusion really be kept on the agenda. Um, you've mentioned some of those benefits, the fact that it's a joy to have a range of people coming with ideas and the impact for good they can have on the sector. With that being the case, what would you say can be some of those plans going forward that you will encourage others in the sector you've worked from rail within rail water now energy are you planning to, to ensure that not only can these, the utilities do what it's supposed to be doing but the employees really have a joy of being in that sector and the part of the teams that you run and look after those characters there will say yeah this is a good sector this is a good company to be part of we I think it's a good it's a good test because um, it's something we haven't spoken about, Nikki. But in a when we get to um, uh, in a, in a week's time for me, I will step away from this role after five years in post, and that was something I agreed with my board when I first took the interview for this job. My wife and I knew that when we reached the end of a five-year period, we would need a break, recharge our batteries, and do some life projects together. And that in itself is one of those areas when you look at mental health people who want to be chief executives, people who want to get promotion. There's a cost to that. It's a thoroughly enjoyable cost and you get a lot of benefits from it, but it, it has a price. So for us, that price needs to be offset every so often for us to go and recharge our batteries and be together. So, so there's two things of that is one is I think the mental health thing, people have to accept that it's so serious. It's not just, you know, people with uh, see mental health as disabilities because it's got to levels they, they can't manage, but the, your scenario then is exactly, we did our staff survey. We do one about every week at the moment, but we can see the decline in people's mental health as this goes on and this goes on. We're four months in now of people trying to make the best of it every day. And even the best world people and the most motivated wake up. And this morning we had a, meet, a management meeting call with my leadership team. And there were some glum faces around the table, absolutely exhausted by what they're having to do remotely. So when we hear people saying home workings for good, life will never be the same again. People get rid of their offices. Well, I question that because I think life won't be the same again in as much as how it used to be. But there's a blend because people work with people. The other thing about my move is it'll challenge the point you've just made is what happens when I leave? 
if it was just one person doing the pushing, nothing will happen and it'll collapse. Well, I'm pretty sure it won't because my successor is as committed to this as I am. My regulators in my sector have been passionately open to the point they're writing diversity actually into the main regulation of the sector. A number of the chief executives who run the biggest utility companies, and some of these are in things like the FTSE 100, have already got it written into their board statements that it's one of the reasons they exist is to serve their communities and be inclusive. So, no, I don't think it'll go away. No, I don't think it'll wallow. I do think it'll take high energy when something else comes around the corner that carries equal weight in terms of demanding equal attention. Even if they're not equal weight in subject, it may demand the same amount of attention. So I'm very positive. And, the, and as I say, the big test for me is, does it all continue when I move on? And I think it will. Does it continue for me as a person wherever I go in the future? Because I don't have a job. I'm not looking for a job. And for a year, I want to go and experience life. And I think that's a very me good mental health position to take and not feel ashamed. I certainly won't be feeling ashamed when I'm out of work. Um, because you need to go and recharge and you've got to get your perspective back and then go and do something fresh. So I'm in a very, um, I'm in a very positive place with it now, but if anyone was to say, what's it been like for you, for example, in the pandemic, do you wake up and have those low days? Absolutely. And I really have to f discipline myself and go back to all of my training to remind myself, what is it I'm going to do today that makes a difference? Because if you just let yourself sit and, um, and feel that things are getting on top of you, they do get on top of you. So I turn to colleagues, I turn to my chair, who's fabulous, Jan, who looks after me and talks things through with me, my board, uh, my membership uh, bosses, um, my staff, uh, and get energy from other people because every single one of us are gonna go through those. And if, if we go into any form of second wave or tougher few weeks and months, we'll all need to turn to each other even more. Mm, very true. Oh, Nick, thank you so much. Fascinating to to talk with you and hear your thoughts on, on the subject, but just on life in general. You've, you said there that um, you're taking time away, the five years of being um, the Chief Executive Energies and Utility Skills Group comes to an end shortly. Um, so therefore then it leads me to ask you, what would you say will, um, you would like as your legacy? What would your legacy, what would you want it to be? Oh, well, from a business, from a purely business point of view, I joined a business that was in severe financial distress and in, in sustainability issues. And it's not as I go. So financial sustainability and business sustainability for my colleagues, because, and I include my board in this, because for five years, the people who work with me have moved to heaven and earth um, to, to do what we've done. And, uh, we've achieved a number of things recently that we're very, very proud of. So sustainability for them because they deserve it. Um, the second thing would be that this, this whole piece of work, this whole valuing of people, you know, the, the problem with the word skills is many people see the word skills as training. So, so when you see energy and utility skills, is that, are they a company that does train? Well, no, we don't. Our job is to make a sustainable workforce for our nation and for our sector in utilities. So we've got dozens of things underway that intend to make sure we've got the right type of talent we need for the future, whether that's by age, whether it's by gender, whether it's by ethnicity. And all of that is now rolling. And we now start to talk about the people as an actual asset for the whole sector. And I think to get away from them being a cost, something you train at a cost, to actually being the fundamental asset that allows you to operate means you have completely different discussions about how you value people. 
And if that carries on after I'm gone, then it's job done and I can do no more. So financial sustainability and actually changing the dialogue, changing the um, dialogue, um, well, that would be enough for me. Excellent. And uh, if I can ask then, just finally, how would you describe Nick in three words? <laughs> three words. Well, th this would be relatively easy because I always think to describe yourself is dodgy. But we did. We were on a management uh, training event a while ago and they came up with three things for me, if I can remember them, which was inquisitive, intuitive. And the last one made me laugh because my job was to do business turnaround as a chief executive. Relentless. <laughs> So we've got intuitive, in, no, inquisitive, intuitive, intuitive, relentless, and relentless. Well, I have to say in, in the time we've had together, um, I hear all three of those. I see all three of those. Um, it's absolute pleasure. Uh, all the best when you, you move on and enjoy some time out with your wife and enjoy living life and being a people person, which I can really hear in the conversation we've had today. Many thanks to Nick Ellings, CEO of the Energy and Utilities Skill Group. You can add thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Nikki. It's been a privilege. Thanks so much for listening today. Wherever you're tuning in from, we'd love to hear from you. What were your learnings from today's conversation? Is there anything you'd like to add? Let us know using the hashtag TEGpodcast on Twitter or you can reach out to us anytime via contact at theequalgroup.com and in the meantime, head over to our website theequalgroup.com for more insights, articles and interviews about equality, diversity and inclusion in the workplace. And if you are serious about making this the year for more effective EDI, we are here for you. Get in touch with us to find out how our EDI audit could benefit your company. We want to help you to identify areas where you can make sustainable improvements to your EDI. The EDI audit will guide your organisation on how to allocate your resources and what strategies to implement so you can begin seeing the benefits of effective EDI. Benefits such as increasing staff well-being, improved innovation, better productivity and higher turnover, just to name a few. Our EDI audit is the very first step to embracing equality, diversity and inclusion in your organisation. Why not join our mailing list to be the first to get updates on EDI news and practical solutions? Finally, to stay tuned for more podcast interviews coming soon, make sure you're following us on Twitter at The Equal Group. Until next time, everyone.